where I am now. Grammy award-winning gospel singer Tamala Mann broke a record last week. In the middle of his wheel, I believe. The song, He Did It For Me, helped her break the record for the most number one hits on gospel radio. Some people try to tell me I'm not worthy of my destiny. But I'm so glad they didn't give it to me. Tamala Mann follows a long line of women in gospel music whose powerful voices have provided a soundtrack for praise and worship. Like Mahalia Jackson. We shall overcome the Lord one day. Yeah, 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 yeah. If in our and Aretha Franklin. Ain't nothing. Ain't nothing. Tamala, Mahalia, and Aretha are included in a new book called Isn't Her Grace Amazing? The Women Who Changed Gospel Music. Author Cheryl Wills joins us today from New York City. I also want to welcome the woman whose voice we heard earlier, Grammy Award-winning recording artist and actress Tamala Mann. Her latest album is called Overcomer. You might also recognize her from Tyler Perry's Medea movies. And she joins us from Mansfield, Texas. With us from Detroit, Michigan, my hometown, is Deborah Smith-Pollard. She's a professor of literature and humanities at the University of Michigan-Dearborn, where she studies gospel. Deborah, welcome. So, Tamala, we just heard your song, He Did It For Me, which is currently at the top of the charts. What inspired that song? What what inspired that song was I I was doing an interview, and then I got word back after the interview uh, that someone was saying, like, well, why is everything happening for her? Why is she getting the, the TV stuff? Why is she getting the music stuff? And it really brought me to tears because... I was thinking, you know, I'm just a vessel and I'm just wanting to be used by the Lord and be able to encourage and help many people. So I went back because then I was in the process of doing the Overcomer album and I talked to the producer and my daughter who was vocal producing me, Tia. And I was like, y'all, why would someone say that? Because I just want to be used. My gifts are just what God has given me. So that's kind of how... And I started talking to the producer. He came back with uh, like a couple of days later with the chorus on He Did It For Me. And I was just, then I, we just started writing it. So it came from, you know, something being said in the negative and we just turned it to a positive. Now, Cheryl, Tamala is one of the 25 women you profile in your book. What stood out to you about her? Well, first of all, what an honor to share the same space with Tamala and Deborah, extraordinary women who have amplified the message of gospel music over the decades. And gospel music means good news, right? So Tamala, 
Your album is good news all the way. Congratulations on breaking the record. It is well-deserved. We wear well, it out you. in my house. We absolutely love it. And so, you know, Tamala was an easy choice. We had criteria for choosing 25 extraordinary women. And you know there are more than 25, right, ladies? Mm -hmm, there mm -hmm. are way more than 25 women who have made their mark in gospel music. But these women that we selected this book, by Harper Collins, Amistad, is are these women are extraordinary, and Tamala was an easy choice. The power she brings to every song, and the the way she illuminates just anyone who listens to her voice. She called herself a vessel, and that's a great way to describe it. Tamala, you are a vessel of beauty, of sincerity. Girl, don't worry about the haters. You just keep doing what you're doing because you have a fan base that will never let you go. <laughs> now, Deborah, you've focused your academic studies on gospel. What's behind your love of the music? Uh, how I was raised by two uh, musicians. My father was a pastor who was also a choir director. My mother was a minister of music for 50 years. They played all kinds of music, but gospel is what I love and adore. Now, Tamla, what about you? How did you first fall in love with gospel music? You know what? I was raised in the church, and I was raised uh, what we call Pentecostal, so I couldn't listen to nothing else but gospel. <laughs> <laughs> were there certain artists who you, you were particularly drawn to? You know, my mother did listen to the caravans a lot, uh, and um, so that was like Shirley Caesar, uh, Inez Andrews was like one of her favorite and we did hear some Aretha Franklin, but it it was really just a lot of them just that I took heart to. The uh, I would say the Clark Sisters was some one of my favorite growing up. James Moore, I was just it, the list can the Hawkins, Andre Crack. It can go on and on. But I'm like um um the Deborah just said I just I fell in love with gospel music, and I am just I'm a true fan of everyone who sings. It doesn't matter which way they sing it. They can rap it. <laughs> they can talk it. But I just I just love it. And I just love it bringing the good news and bringing inspiration and joy to people. Well, family has a strong presence in gospel music. And many groups are comprised of family members like the Clark Sisters. And they signed their first record deal in 1973. Here's one of their hit songs, You Brought the Sunshine from 1981. Clark Sisters are the best-selling female gospel group of all time. Cheryl, what made them such a success? You know, they are innovators. You have several groups and generations who would change gospel. Tamala has changed gospel in her way, with her style. She's an innovator. The Clark Sisters, they were innovators. When they came out, 
uh, when you brought the sunshine, it was like, whoa. And then a generation, not even a generation, a few years before them, the Hawkins singers with Oh Happy Day, they changed the game of gospel. So gospel music has evolved over the years from Queen Mahalia and even going further back. So it's always a privilege to be able to hear how women especially change the game because, you know, this book, Isn't Her Grace Amazing, celebrates women because gospel music, and I'd love to hear Deborah chime in on this, was a man's game. The father of gospel music, Thomas Dorsey, and then the Dixie Hummingbirds and the Swan Silvertones and the Soul Stirrers, all gospel groups that I know everyone on this mic is familiar with. But women had to fight their way in, right, Deborah? They fought their way in. In fact, they were there, but they had to fight just to be seen sometimes, to be recognized for what they were contributing. You are so correct. And so I'm so glad that you put so many of these important voices in your book. It's an amazing list. Well, talking about the Clark sisters, Deborah, I feel like we can't talk about them without talking about their mother, Dr. Maddie Moss Clark, and and how she was just a powerhouse in her own right in the world of gospel, but talk about what she did to create their sound. Well, first of all, there's stories that she would wake them up sometimes at three and four in the morning because she had a song that she wanted them to sing. That's part of it. But also the fact that she was focused. She knew the sound that she wanted them to have and um, how she wanted to project. I've had Dorinda Clark Cole come to the class and talk about how she said, yeah, you can kind of um, embellish it a bit, but don't get so far away from the melody that your audience doesn't feel it. And that's what really pulls people into the Clark Sisters music. Yes, they've all got these great voices and they can all do the wonderful ad libs, but they stay focused on the message and on making sure that by the time they're finished, the whole audience is singing along because they haven't gone far away from the actual sound. Tamla, I'm curious about the role family plays in your approach to gospel music. In 2018, you released an album with your husband, David Mann. You mentioned your daughter, Tia, uh, working with you on this latest album. Where does family fit into this for you? You know, to me, um, if I can go back for a second, family means everything to me, first and foremost. And for a family to work together, even though you have ups and downs. But if I could just say something about Maddie Mouse Clark, y'all, she was my first big audience that I sang with in a workshop at 12 years old. I was singing Endow Me. Um, and when I tell you, I got so nervous that I forgot a couple of words and she, I did, a, I was, it was during a workshop and she was like, say the words, girl. <laughs> so, I mean, I could just, I got some of that and to be able, you know, I was, when y'all was playing, you brought the sunshine, I wish y'all could have saw me over here. I was just, I got chill bumps and it's like, I thought back as a kid when I had a, me and my best friend in church, I had a, a brush for a microphone or a spoon And, you know, we were singing those songs. But family means everything. To have my team to be my family means so much to me. And I think it's incredible to be able to work through the ups and downs. We'll be back with more in a moment. We're traveling through the history of gospel music and the women who transformed the genre. Well, let's turn to another icon of gospel music, Mahalia Jackson. In 1963, she sang her hit song, How I Got Over, at the March on Washington from the same podium where Martin Luther King Jr. gave his I Have a Dream speech. Tell me how we got 
Cheryl, how did Mahalia Jackson's career begin? Uh, you know, Mahalia Jackson started from very humble beginnings in New Orleans, and she was what you call a fish and grit singer, right? She was up and down for the Chitlin Circuit singing gospel for nickels and dimes, and she did that for a very long time before she finally gained traction and became a recording artist. But to your uh, caller or the person who emailed, he'll be pleased to know that Marion Williams is absolutely one of the 25 women in this book. I'm very proud to say. Surely God is able. Nobody sang it like Marion Williams. So, But I do want to go back to Mahalia because she opens the book. And Mahalia was a powerhouse in every sense of the word from, you know, her the song you just played, Move On Up a Little Higher, was her first big hit, Troubles of the World. And I'd like to add that Mahalia was often offered money to switch, to sing R&B. And if you look at her singing at any time, she sang with her whole body and she would work the crowd like no one else. And Mahalia refused every single time. She turned down millions to sing R&B because she was true to gospel music. Now, Mahalia Jackson was a friend of Dr. King's and she was frequently by his side. Deborah, how have the struggle for civil rights and gospel music gone really hand in hand over the years? Oh, absolutely, because so many of the rallies, um, the preparations for the marches um, were held in churches. They were led by many pastors, but you had these powerful singers, often from the church, who were singing and empowering those who were going to face dogs, hoses, jail, and who knows what else. And so, yeah, the gospel music, like much of the other, what I call music in that uh, cultural box, um, they would sometimes take those songs and maybe flip some of the lyrics in there um, so that uh, the audience would already know it, the congregation would know it, but they also know that we are focusing God's message, but also putting it right here in the civil rights movement. So yes, it often was hand in hand, very much so. Right here in Detroit, since you were from Detroit, mm-hmm. you don't mind my saying, with C.L. Franklin having that march with Dr. King that was um, before the march in Washington, where he did even talk there about the dream. So yeah, Detroit and gospel music and civil rights. Yeah, they all kind of go hand in hand here. I want to take us back to June of 2020. The country was reeling from the murder of George Floyd. And Tamala, you spoke to what I think many were feeling when you sang your song, Take Me to the King on Instagram Live. Take me to the king. I don't have much to bring. My heart is torn to pieces. It's my offering. Lay me at the throne. Leave me there alone to gaze upon your glory and sing to you. So first, Tamala, let me just say, if I could sing like you, I I would be unbearable. I I would not know how to act <laughs> at all. <laughs> I would have no friends, none. But <laughs> what feelings were you were you tapping into in that moment? 
I first of all, I was broken to pieces, uh, literally, because I couldn't believe I did a part of a protest and I was protesting, I'm about to cry, mm. with my grandkids. And I'm thinking, like, why are we still going through this in 20? You know, it's like, I'm like, this is 20, but 20, I'm like, what is happening? You know, 2019, it's like, what is going on? So it was very painful, but, you know, it's just, I felt like we needed to stand together and I just want us to stand together and I just wanted to be with my people, if I could say that. I mean, people are, I love all races and all people, but to just stand together, you know, for someone who died so brutally, you know, it's just, it was it was something that I'll never forget, just even seeing it. Hmm. You know, God knows if I was there, I would probably, like you say, people would hate me because I would probably really act a fool. I'm just going to be honest. Hmm. Because to see that, and it was just, you know, but I, I, I'm, I, I'm just happy to be a part of just trying to hopefully turn things around. Susan emailed, the music reaches so far down to your soul, and if you can't feel it or it doesn't touch you, I'm not sure you have a soul. And Bill emailed us, thank you for playing the Clark Sisters. I have never been to a church that has gospel singers, but when I heard you brought the sunshine, I ran to the record store and asked the clerk if they had that 45. I bought it on the spot. Now, here's another gospel pioneer, Sister Rosetta Tharp. Precious Memories, released in 1956 by Rosetta Tharp. Give us a brief summary of her career, Cheryl. You know, she touches my heart. That's really my favorite gospel song of all time, and I'm so glad you played it. Sister Rosetta Tharp was born March 20th, 1915 in Cotton Plant, Arkansas, and she was born into a world of Jim Crow, a world that devalued girls that looked just like her. And she was supposed to stay in her place and be seen and not heard, but that young lady grabbed what was known generally generally speaking, as a man's instrument, that being a guitar, and she taught herself to play. And as she taught herself these riffs and rhythms, she unwittingly created not just great gospel music, but she also created, Jen, the soundtrack for rock and roll. She was an innovator and pioneer in the truest sense of the word. And when you listen to that song, Precious Memories, and you hear those licks on the guitar, even Elvis Presley said, who is that and what is that? And they ended up kissing her ring. And today... Sister Rosetta Tharp has a place in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I'm so glad she does, because when she passed away in 1973, Jen, 
her legacy largely died with her. And that's why we put this book together to revive the legacies of these extraordinary women like Sister Rosetta Tharp. Well, she was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2018. A singer-songwriter, Brittany Howard, sang at the ceremony with Questlove on the drums. More from you and our guests in just a moment. Now let's get back to our conversation about the women of gospel music. Roger tweeted, I love Yolanda Adams, who has a magnificent voice and shows class and poise. Gospel music is the spirit of uplift. Tara emailed, gospel is amazing. When I listen, I'm constantly saying, that's my song. I love Tamala Mann, so pure. And Daniel emailed, you can't talk about gospel music and not talk about the choirs. I feel like so many conversations about gospel leave out the choirs, and the choir has been a staple in gospel music, especially going back to the late James Cleveland and the late Dr. Maddie Moss Clark. There is no gospel singer worth their weight who didn't get their start in the choir. Cheryl, what do you make of Daniel's uh email there and and the role of choirs in developing the talents of some of these remarkable singers you profile in the book. Yeah, Daniel is absolutely right. Um, the choirs are the backbone of gospel music. I'm sure if I could ask Tamala a question, we have so much in common. I, we were both the same age. I won't say what age that is, but we both grew up in Pentecostal churches with strict upbringing and those choirs that Daniel is talking about. I was in the Little Faith Choir as a little girl. And Tamala, I would love to know your experience with choirs and how how it helped, you know, create your signature sound and how it blessed you singing with so many people and learning how to sing. You you want to learn how to sing, sing with a good old church choir, right? That's right. That's right. That's right. I started in the Sunshine Band is what they called it for the kids for us. And it was a group of us. And it went from the Sunshine Bands to the youth choir. And by the time I was 12, y'all, I was singing in the senior choir because I just fell in love with singing. And when I came, I was very mannerable. And and so all the adults were, you know, it was like they just kind of caressed me and pushed me on. I think that's what really helped me really fall in love with the craft, love the gift of singing and being around people. And it's just you learn so much from acquiring because you get to hear so many different voices of different people. And he was right. Daniel, he's right. I mean, Ricky Dillard, uh, um, the, uh, James Cleveland. I mean, but even with the Hawkins, they, you know, it was like it turned into a choir with them, with the love choir from, from uh, Oakland. So it's like you would, it wouldn't be a us. Mm. Most of us artists, singers, individual artists without a choir. Tamla, I'm curious when you're singing in in a choir like that, right? And you, and and the goal is to is to blend the voices, right? How how difficult is it for you to make that transition from singing in that setting to becoming a soloist and finding your voice as an individual? Jen, I was scared. <laughs> really. I was afraid because even coming, you know, I started out with Kirk Franklin and the family. Yeah. And when I was growing up, I sang in so many different groups around town, you know, here in Fort Worth, Dallas area. So when it came to the point of me being an artist, uh, Miss Deborah and Cheryl, I was so afraid. And, and, and David was like, we was on the plays. He said, Tam, you're going to do a project. 
He said, you're going to do you're going to do an album. And I looked at him and I argued with my husband, David, because I was like, no, I am not. I feel I'm fine just being in the background. He said, Tam, you're a world class singer and you need to be heard. So he pushed me. He pushed me into becoming an artist. And I'm so grateful to God for him hearing the voice of the Lord to push me to become the artist with God's help to becoming the artist that I am today. Him and Tyler Perry pushed me, pushed me, pushed me to just work the audience and to become an artist. Well, we're thankful. So that's- <laughs> we're thankful. <laughs> but we can't have a conversation about women in gospel music without talking about the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin. The 1972 album Amazing Grace by Aretha Franklin is the best-selling gospel album of all time. Deborah, what place does Aretha have in the canon of this genre? Um, she is right there in the center and always will be in the story. Um, her voice is incredible. Her delivery with, was it Reverend James Cleveland and with these choirs? Um, the fact that she would combine a song by uh, Carol King, you know, You Got a Friend, with What a Friend We Have in Jesus. I mean, all of that just not only blesses people, but inspires people. Somebody wrote and told you, right, all the way down to your the bottom of your soul. I mean, it just uplifts you always. Going to see her at um, Shane Park in Detroit, now mm-hmm. called the Aretha Franklin, and seeing her sing about um, a pink Cadillac and then rolling into a gospel song without even taking a breath, that's just who she was. She is part of our culture, and she is an important part of gospel music. Cheryl, how do you think Aretha's crossover appeal changed music altogether. Yeah, this was a really big deal because, of course, she was the daughter of C.L. Franklin, who was like, say, the T.D. Jakes of his day. He was larger than life, the biggest black preacher in America. And Aretha was a daughter of privilege. She had access to Mahalia Jackson. She had access to Clara Ward. These powerhouse gospel singers sat with little Aretha on the piano and taught her pretty much everything she knows. So when she crossed over, I mean, that was a big deal. So that album you just played in 1972, Amazing Grace, was Aretha's way of saying, don't think I forgot my gospel roots. If you saw the film that Spike Lee salvaged, you know, Amazing Grace was supposed to be a motion picture as well, but they didn't shoot it right. The director didn't have the cameras in place and the whole thing was scrapped. Well, Spike Lee put it all back together and you see that choir, you see James Cleveland, you see Clara Ward walking down the center of the aisle like, this is my girl. Now we're going to do this the way it's supposed to be done. And you 
see her father. So Aretha did that crossover like Sam Cooke before her, like, like Sister Rosetta Tharp. And it wasn't easy for them to cross over from gospel to R&B. But no matter what they sang from respect, no matter how high she went, she always acknowledged her gospel roots right to the end when she transitioned in 2018. So you cannot tell the story of gospel music and leave Sister Aretha Franklin out. Tamla, does that tension between secular and spiritual music, do you still feel that today in the industry? Yes, it yes it is because certain but the the cuz what happens is we're trying to not reinvent ourselves, but we're just trying to move with the time to still be able to get the message out. So you still feel that because some people say maybe it's too R&B, it's too soulful. And, you know, I even went back on Overcomer and did some quartet because it's being lost, you know. Um, so it's like to let people know that we you like what I love about Aretha is you couldn't put her in a box. Mm. We still, you know, they still love the Lord. They may do R&B, but they know what their foundation is. It's been taught to them. And like the word says, they, they when they grow old, they won't depart from it. So it's like the word is still in there. The Lord is still in there. So allow us to share our gifts without just confining us to one place. Like you say, like I believe Cheryl or Deborah said that we, we don't live in the church. We go to church and we're gospel singers, but don't just put us in this one space. We can come and go to a festival and still sing about Jesus. I'm curious if you think that that pressure comes from from the audience or is it something that's coming from the industry itself? From the audience. Mm-hmm. It's from the audience, from people, because we, you know, some, some people are so traditional that we, you know, we're just really close minded versus us thinking, becoming all things to all men to win some. And that's that's the message that we still want to get people to acknowledge and to accept Jesus as their Savior, as their Lord. Aretha Franklin is from Detroit, as we've said, Deborah. That's where we're from, too. But we got this tweet from Janet who says, "What about Mavis Staples?" And I. Mavis Staples, of course, her musical roots were formed in Chicago. You've got uh, Pastor Shirley Caesar, who's originally from North Carolina. What role do specific cities or regions play in in the different sounds of gospel music? Oh, interesting question. Well, we certainly look at Chicago as being the birthplace. Um, and so, you know, we have so many help Mahalia Jackson's and uh, James Cleveland's and, and so many others, um, Ricky Dillard today, so are connected to Chicago. But sound, I think we have such strong singers. The 80s, Detroit was just everything to everybody. I'd still say it still is. But we had commissioned Clark sisters, um, Vanessa Bell Armstrong, Thomas Whitfield, and so many others in Detroit during the 80s who um, continue to inspire people. But, you know, we start going to uh, Texas, where Yolanda Adams and Kirk Franklin are from. So is it a specific sound? Well, but just maybe that 
sometimes it's a genre that rises in a particular area and that's what you do. Now, quartets, we like to think of as coming from the South, but no, they, many of them were just right here in the big cities of Chicago, Detroit, etc. Um, Mighty Clouds of Joy all the way over in uh, California. Um, so it just depends on the time and certain times they just get an uplift in a particular area. Well, we want to talk about one more gospel artist. Uh, Kanisha emailed, my favorite gospel artist is Cece Winans by far and has been since I was a little girl. Not only does she have a beautiful voice, but she also has a beautiful spirit where it is clear that she loves what she sings. And at the 2022 Grammys, Cece Winans took home three trophies, including best gospel performance for the song Never Lost. Your voice is Cheryl, tell us a little more about C.C. Winans and her impact on gospel music. Yeah, you're playing my favorite. I have so many favorite songs, but that's what, that one touches my heart. You know, this beautiful, first of all, she's on the cover of the book. Isn't her grace amazing? A lot of people don't catch that, but that is C.C. Winans on the cover. You know, she, like you said, is from Detroit and from the famous Winans singers, of course. And, you know, her song, Heaven. Remember when Heaven came out? Mm -hmm. It was played not only on gospel stations, but on R&B stations. And that's when so many people started to say, hey, who's CeCe Winans? Wow, wow, wow. But it was amazing how she used her powerful voice to touch people, not only in the church, but say people who never stepped foot in church. And I think that is a unique gift that CeCe Winans has. She wanted, she's one of the most powerful singers of her generation, without question. And she deserves all the accolades. I was cheering when she won all of those awards and putting her in a whole new category. And much like Tamala said, you know, there is pressure today for for people to stay true to the church. And I was actually so intrigued by what Tamala said about that, that they still feel that pressure today. Which side are you on, the church or the clubs? But there are artists who are like, why do I have to take a side? Am I right, Tamala? You, yeah. You're singing the gospel, the good news. Why do you have to take a side? You want to sing and spread the word to everyone, no matter where they are. We've been talking to Tamala Mann. She's a Grammy-winning gospel singer. The deluxe version of her album, Overcomer, comes out in July. She's also an actress known for appearing in Tyler Perry's movies. Deborah Smith-Pollard was also with us, a professor at the University of Michigan-Dearborn, where she studies the history, history of gospel music. And Cheryl Wills, a journalist and author of Isn't Her Grace Amazing? The Women Who Changed Gospel Music. Today's producer was Avery J.C. Kleinman. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NBC. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. We'll talk more soon. This is 1A.